0: Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, thanks for for tuning in again for another uh, midweek college Bible study CBS for Lakeview College Ministry. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'm glad you're able to watch. And if you've uh, been tuning in every every week since we've started having to do this virtually because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, I'm glad you've kept up the pace. Um, but uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. And, and if you have a Bible with you, I hope that you'll find Matthew chapter 6. Uh, tonight for our midweek uh, college Bible study, we're picking up where we left off last week in, the, in a study through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's, it's this great prayer that the Lord Jesus left to us, uh, recorded two places in the New Testament. First here in Matthew chapter 6. And then also in Luke chapter 11, and as we've already shown many times, it's a, it's a prayer that Scripture indicates in those two places is to be a prayer that Jesus left to us as a model to follow. But but even more than that, because Matthew says, pray then like this. So it's a model for us to follow in prayer. But even more than that, when we look at, at how uh, Luke describes it when he says, um, when he has Jesus saying, when you pray, say this, that this is a prayer that's meant to be actually prayed by faithful Christians uh, throughout the church age, that we're not only to use this as a model, uh, that when we pray, when we, when it tells us, hallowed be your name, that we're to not only use that as a model for us to uh, think of other ways, and many ways as can for God's name to be hallowed, but that that these are, these are uh, words that we ought to pray. These are spirit given through Christ, words for us to return back to the Father in prayer, much like many of the psalms are. Um and so that's why this this study in the Lord's Prayer is so, so very important because whether we're looking at it just as a as a model to follow or we're literally incorporating this prayer. Uh, this very prayer into our, our own prayer life, and I hope and pray that you're you're doing both of those things. We need to have a clear grasp on what it's saying and what we're praying. And I do hope that as we've moved through this first half of the prayer already uh, in our weekly study, that you've benefited uh, through this study. If if not by learning things that that you didn't already know or you hadn't already thought of, that maybe you've It's been helpful to you just to be reminded of things that you did already know, that you have heard, some just precious truths that we see in these petitions. Um, But as I mentioned at the outset of our study, how uh, this prayer is structured. This prayer is structured by opening with an opening invocation, our Father in heaven, and it proceeds through seven. Some will say six, um, and they say six because they'll combine the last two. Um, where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. They'll count that as one, two parts of one petition. I see it as a separate. So seven petitions or requests from the Lord, the the first three of those petitions are sort of Godward, as it were, in in its focus. So uh, hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. They're, they're requests that we're making on... Uh, for for the sake of the glory and the name of the Lord, but then as the as the uh, prayer turns when we begin with the fourth petition through the seventh, they they begin to focus on our needs, right, our daily bread, our debts, um, our temptations and trials, deliver us from evil, and then it ends traditionally and biblically, I would say, but maybe not originally to the prayer. With that doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, Amen. And it's usually footnoted in in the in your Bible rather than put in the main text. That being said, we're going to read the passage. Just read the prayer again, as we prepare uh, to focus tonight on the request that we find in verse eleven: "Give us this day our daily bread." And this is a, I think, a petition or a request. That we're going to find particularly helpful uh, to compare the two versions in Matthew and Luke. I think they complement one, one another very well. And uh, the different, one little different nuance between the way they present this petition. So if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, uh, I invite you to follow along as I read, beginning in verse 9, and I'll read to the end of the prayer in verse 13. Jesus says, pray then like this, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's talking to his, to a large crowd, but his disciples are nearest to him. And he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, footnoted, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of His Word. Lord Jesus, just as you taught us to pray by addressing our Father in heaven, our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is your holy Word. This is your inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. Necessary because if you didn't reveal it to us, we wouldn't know it. There is not a way for us to to discover it because you are the creator. We are the creature. And there is an infinite um, chasm between you and us. And apart from your revelation, we cannot know you. So thank you for revealing these words to us. And uh, I ask that as we study these these words and, and seek to benefit from them, that you, Holy Spirit, would give us eyes to see the truth that's here. Would you give us clear minds to think and understand the truth? Would you give us hearts to embrace and love the truth and not merely to know it and understand it? And then would you please give us wills to obey whatever it is you call us to do? would you please give us all ears to hear and please give me the help that I need to teach? I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Uh, this this request in in verse 11 doesn't just tell us what to pray and what to pray and ask God for, but it has a lot to teach us in the process and in thinking about how I wanted to structure um, our our thinking through this, this petition and how to break it down and so we can learn as much as we can from it. I thought I would structure it in, in the way that I often uh, teach you in our college ministry uh, how to ask questions of the text, the three main questions to ask of any text that you come to when you study the scriptures for yourself. You, you may be able to think of those questions right away, and I hope you can. The first one is, what does this passage teach me about God, right? Then what does this t- passage teach us about ourselves? Thirdly, what does it lead us to do? right? What, is it, what does it lead us to do in response? What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? What does it lead me to do? So what does the Lord teach us about the character of God in this request? What does he teach us? Uh, what does the fact that he instructs us to pray this request, what does that teach us about ourselves, that he tells us, you need to pray this, and then and then does it lead us to do anything else? And I think, I think it does. So let's dive in, and hopefully, uh, to be more helpful in, in, in thinking the, through these things and be able to answer confidently each of these questions, I'm gonna take them in slightly a different order than I just mentioned them. What I mean by that is I wanna think first about what it teaches us about ourselves. We're gonna break down this, this petition and, and first look at it carefully to say, what does it teach, teach us about ourselves, right? And then once we've done that, I think we're in a better position uh, to see more clearly what it teaches us about God and then we'll come around to the end uh, and see what does it lead us to do so let's think first about the petition itself and what it teaches us about ourselves let's let's look closely at the words of this text and just think carefully about the this fourth petition so in in, in, in the simplest of terms and in the most economic way Jesus teaches us to ask God, give us this day our daily bread. And he's saying a lot in a little. Um, When we read that, give us this day our daily bread, we need to understand the breadth of what he's talking about, even though it's just a few words. Because scripture repeatedly um, uses bread to refer to more than just bread. In fact, I think it teaches us that bread uh, is, is, is used not only as representative for all food, all physical food, but but also uh, it's used to represent all of our daily needs, whatever they may be. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Uh, the, the wisdom writer says, remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Well, say, so, well, I didn't say anything about bread, but literally that last phrase that's translated in a modern translation, feed me with the food that is needful for me, literally that, that last phrase is, cause me to eat the bread of my portion. Cause me to eat the bread of my portion. But the translators knew that literally it says, cause me to eat the bread of my portion. The translators knew that that, that bread there at the very least was figurative of all the food that is Needful for us. But notice in that verse also, when it says, remove from me falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches. So in that sense, the bread there in that is not just figurative for all the food that we need in daily life, but for poverty and riches as a whole, for all of our material goods that we may ever need uh, and, and ever may have in the world. So it's all encompassed in that little word, bread. Bread and food is just always used throughout Scripture uh, figuratively for all our earthly needs. In the New Testament as well, I'll give you one one uh, example there. And again, you don't have bread used in this way, but food is. like So James, James 2.15, James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So again there, food, right, is, is synonymous with more than just nutritional needs. But in that verse, clothing for the body. And, and as he puts it, all the things needed for the body. And uh, and it, so it's it's the scriptural use of bread and food in this way that, that have led a lot of uh interpreters of the Bible down through church history to to see, give us this day our daily bread as a very expansive um, invitation and command for us to ask God for all sorts of things. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, German reformer, said uh, in his smaller catechism, he says of this petition, he says daily bread, and just think about what all that he says here. Martin Luther says daily bread includes Everything that has to do with the support of the needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. I mean, he's he's putting everything in there, right? Everything that we might deem needful or goods for our life and society in the world. All things pertaining to this earthly life, Luther says, is subsumed under and intended by the Lord Jesus in our daily bread. In a similar way, John Calvin, another reformer, said in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, um, he says, By this petition, we ask of God all things in general that our bodies have need to use under the elements of this world. Okay, So he's, he sees it as expansive as well. Not only for food and clothing, he says, but also for everything God perceives to be beneficial to us that we may eat our daily bread in peace. Briefly, by this, we give ourselves over to his care and entrust ourselves to his providence that he may feed, nourish, and preserve us. For our most gracious Father does not disdain to take even our bodies. See how closely these are linked? Uh, what does this teach us about ourselves and what does this teach us about God? In the same paragraph, he's linking the two because notice how he's, in talking about what this means for us, he's also saying, what does it teach us about God? He says, our most gracious Father does not disdain to take even our bodies under his safekeeping and guardianship in order to exercise our faith in these small matters. While we expect everything from him, even to a crumb of bread, in a drop of water. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, just to throw up a, a Baptist in the mix, John Gill. John Gill was a, a famous uh, Baptist theologian and uh, pastor in London in the 18th century. In fact, he was a previous pastor of one of the churches that Charles Spurgeon would later pastor. But he agreed with this and he just said very simply by bread here is meant all the necessities of life and for the support of it. So from from the indication of Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament, Proverbs and James, and then also uh, through faithful interpreters all the way down uh, through the history of the church, we learn that when Jesus asks us to pray or tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking him. He's telling us, ask God for all the things you're going to need day by day. Uh, for, for life under his care. Physical needs, spiritual needs, all our needs that we may have, look to him for the provision of it. Which, that's one thing that we learn about ourselves just from those truths alone in this petition. Namely, that there is not anything under heaven, uh, physical or spiritual, that we are not dependent upon the sovereign hand of God for. there isn't there is not anything good in your life that that or in my life that we are self-sufficient to attain for, for ourselves. Um you might say, well, it seems to me that I work hard, I, I get up and I go to work and I earn a living. It may it may seem like I work hard and I I get to enjoy the fruits of what I know I put in the time to to earn for myself, right? And so I mean, if I, if I don't go to work, well, then I can expect not to have anything. But I go to work, and so I have the fruits of my own labor. That's true enough. Bible says a lot about working hard and and uh, and, and has a lot of warnings about laziness, for sure. But doesn't, doesn't Paul, the Apostle Paul, who incidentally was a tent maker, why was he a tent maker? So that he could earn his own living and not be a burden to the churches he was uh, ministering to. Did he not also say in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive, right? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And doesn't James also, to, to refer to him again, tell us very clearly in James 1, 17, every good and uh, gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes. That'll come in later. But you say, yeah, well, what I have, though, is still proportional to my work and to my achievement, to which scripture says again in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth." So even when we get up and we go to work, who is it that woke us up in the morning? Right? Who, who is it that kept time going so that your alarm clock went off? Who is it that wakes us up when the alarm clock does go off? Who gives us strength in our legs to get ready for the day and to work throughout the day? Who gives us minds to think? Who gives us the food to eat when we to have strength to do the work? It is it is impossible to overstate the dependence we have upon the Lord our God for all the things necessary, physical and spiritual and anything otherwise in this life. We are inescapably dependent people. And so it's incumbent upon us, therefore, to humble ourselves uh, and recognize, openly recognize to him, our dependence on him for all things. And and, and and in recognizing our dependence, then in that same breath, the other side of that coin, to repent of all the arrogant times where we forgot that and, and went through our life in a very self-sufficient um, way the, uh, in, instead of trust and, and trusting instead of other and, and, uh, trusting in other things instead of him like trusting in our wits and our smarts and and uh, our time management and our money our job whatever it is trusting in those things as ultimate things not knowing that there is something higher above them uh, there's a sober warning about about this in the in the Old Testament prophet Hosea, uh, when the when the people of Israel had turned away from the Lord, I mean they, they, he the people of Israel were his people, right? And he had told them uh, throughout their history, "I am your I'm you are my people. I am your God. Look to me. I will provide for you." And we'll see later on that he did that many many times in their in their history. But when the people of Israel at the in Hosea's day had turned away from the Lord, and we're trusting in other gods, trusting in other things. It was a prosperous time in Israel's history, and with prosperity comes uh, a temptation to forget the Lord, and Israel had done just that, and they trusted other things for their provision and their happiness. Make a note uh, of Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Hosea 2, verses 5 through 9. Let me just read uh, parts of the, those verses, where the Lord says through Hosea, that Israel has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, and, and that mean by that other gods instead of the Lord. I will go after my, my lovers who gave me my bread and my water. See, they think that they had gotten their goods from other, other uh, avenues. My lovers who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain. The Lord says, the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal, who was the idol worship, uh, idol that they worshiped. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax. That's a sobering passage. Translating that to here, in, in Matthew chapter 6, if Jesus is teaching us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, if that teaches us anything about ourselves, it is that we cannot get our daily bread on our own. We cannot get the necessities of this life apart from his hand. And if that passage in Hosea teaches us uh, anything else, it is that when, when we refuse to acknowledge uh, the hand of the Lord in our provision, not just some of it, but all of it, all of it, even the breath to breathe to enjoy any of it, it doesn't, even if we don't recognize his hand of provision, it doesn't alter the truth of it, right? But but our refusal to honor the Lord and thank him for his provision can, can according to Hosea's passage, bring the Lord to chasten us in painful ways uh, to remind us that it is his good providence over us that provides those things. He chastens us not to hurt us, but to help us and bring us to that humble place of dependence. But I want to to notice something else uh, about this petition that teaches us something else about ourselves that I think is helpful to see. And it's not only our dependence upon the Lord, but specifically uh, our daily settled trust. Right, not just a general dependence we have upon the Lord, but our daily settled trust in Him. Give us this day our daily bread, Matthew says. Give us today our daily bread. The focus is on today. And Luke says, he, slightly different wording in Luke. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Uh, it literally says, give us according to the day, right? Give us each, translate each day. Give us each day. So the, uh, um, Luke's focus is not, is on a daily uh, provision, but Luke's focus is not just on give us today, but it's give us each day. Like, uh, I'm going to trust you to give me today what I need for today, and I'm trusting you to wait till tomorrow to give me what I need for tomorrow, right? It's a daily trust in the Lord. Clearly the, the Old Testament story behind this whole aspect of this request is God providing manna to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Um, that, that's in the background here, and we'll come back to it even more again in just a, a minute, but suffice it here to point out that clearly um, in that passage in the Old Testament, the focus and the stress is on the trustworthiness of the Lord to provide what they needed each day as much as they needed, right? And they weren't allowed to hoard it. He was going to give them as much as they did need. He knows what they need. He'll give you as much as you need in the day that you need it, right? As the story goes, and, and if you want to look back at Exodus chapter 16, I'm just going to read a portion uh, of it, verses 15 to 21, and just give you an idea uh, of this story that's lying in the background of this petition, Exodus chapter sixteen, beginning in the middle of verse fifteen. It is the bread, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. That that manna. Uh, you were in our uh, in our live streamed worship just a couple of weeks ago. Brother Al um, preached on, on, on the on this issue, right? And they called it manna, which literally means what is it? And Moses says. This is uh, the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Uh, each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. That's important. That's important. It'll come, come back later. They didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. It went bad on them overnight. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. The only day that it was okay for them to gather more than uh, a day's worth was the day before the Sabbath so that they wouldn't do work on the Sabbath uh, and have to go out and gather it. It would have already been gathered on Friday. On, yeah, on Friday, the day before. But the point is, God gave them uh, enough for each day. He, he, in fact, he, and he wasn't stingy about it. He literally told them, get as much as you need, right? And, 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 and trust me to do it again tomorrow. He, he, made, he built it in there. They couldn't save it, except for one day, all the other six, they could not save it for the next day. They had to trust him for the next day. And we saw that they even had trouble doing that. That's what Jesus is telling us to pray in the Lord's prayer. Not... not not to in other words inviting us to ask him for our manner not to twist god's arm uh, that he must provide because we ask but that he's telling us to ask this so that in our in our praying we constantly recognize that it was his hand that provided when the provision comes but when we start worrying about tomorrow's provision today it starts to stink right that's when that's when anxiety starts to eat us away one of the reasons that worry and anxiety worry and anxiety one of the reasons that when it when it really comes down to it when it when that one of the reasons that is so stupid i'm not saying that i i mean i worry and i'm anxious about things from time to time and i recognize it in my own life it is such a stupid thing to do to worry and be anxious it's not because I mean, it's it's stupid because a it never accomplishes anything good. You can't tell me one good thing that's ever come in your life that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt happened because you worried about it and because you were uh, unhelpfully anxious about it. Uh, it. So it's 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 not only stupid because of that, but it's but it's also pointless. Worry and anxiety is pointless because it's not going to gain you one ounce of God's. Tomorrow favor today. God will not give you the grace for tomorrow until tomorrow. right? He's given you the grace that that you need for today today. So stay you stay in your lane, right? that that's what Jesus is going to to say just a few verses later at the end of chapter six in that famous passage beginning in verse 25 through the end of the chapter, but specifically, In that last verse of the chapter, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, right? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This this petition teaches us that we're utterly dependent upon the Lord for every need we have. Uh, as, As Calvin said, even to a crumb of bread and a cup of water, a drop of water, and we're to, we're to trust him today for today and not doubting for that tomorrow that he will have changed because that's, in that James passage, there is no uh, variation or shadow due to change in the Lord. If he was faithful today, he will be faithful tomorrow. If he was wise today, wiser than you, he will be wiser than you tomorrow, right? So we can trust him tomorrow for tomorrow. Do know this though, that in our, it's something we need to think about in our materially rich culture. D.A. Carson said of this petition, he says, this prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. It's for our needs, not our greeds. And it is for one day at a time today. He says it that reflects the precarious lifestyle of many first century workers who were paid one day at a time and for whom a few days' illness could spell tragedy. They had, in in a, in a much more obvious way, they they had a lot more obviously riding on the trustworthiness of God, uh, to provide for their needs in that day than is than is immediately apparent to us today. They that we we don't have as immediate unawareness of it as they did, but that does not mean it does not exist for us. If we've seen anything in this pandemic, is that. In, in a few weeks' time, uh, a lot can change, and you begin to see how precarious life really is. Uh, but they saw daily the unfailing hand of God pre- preparing uh, their needs for them and, and providing their needs for them, maybe not for their greeds, as Carson says, but, but their needs very unfailingly, and I hope this has set us up pretty well in thinking about what this teaches us about ourselves. Um, to, I hope it set us up pretty well to, to clearly see what this petition teaches us about God. Let's think about that for just a second. And this won't require us spending a great deal of time here because we've already said a fair bit of it or at least hinted of it uh, already. But the, the obvious conclusion that we draw about the Lord in all of this is that he is He is actually... He is actually good, and he's actually graciously concerned for all of our needs. It's just like that that Calvin quote where he immediately starts marveling at the kindness of our Heavenly Father. He's he's, he's even concerned, not just for our eternal life, but for our daily bread, um, that he actually cares for, to, to quote Calvin yet again, for every crumb of bread and every drop of water that comes to us that we need. Jesus has already emphasized in verse 8 of chapter 6 that your father knows what you need before you ask him, right? And he'll say that again. He'll emphasize that again later in the chapter in verse 32, for example, when he says, the Gentiles seek after these things, clothing, etc. Your father, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows it. He knows before you even ask. But what? What Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, right in between those two assurances of the knowledge of God, what he teaches us in that that fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is not just the omniscience of the Lord, but the omnibenevolence of the Lord. He doesn't just know. He cares, right? He, He is not just able. He provides. And just think deeply about what Jesus says, for example, in... Matthew 18, three, just one example. He says, Jesus actually says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you you become like a little child. So he requires that we recognize our, our childlike helplessness and our dependence so that, He can prove himself to be the great shepherd of his sheep, just like he has already said. We are satisfied and he is glorified in the pursuit of all of it. That that's the value, I would say, just parenthetically. That's the value of theology. It's not not practical. You tell me that's not practical. The value of theology and, and thinking deeply about God. It's immensely practical in this life, um, and oh for grace to trust him more, as the song says. But lastly, what does this passage lead us to do? We'll consider that briefly just as we come to a close. The obvious thing that this passage leads us to do is to pray this petition faithfully to the Lord. Uh, give us today our daily bread. Depend on him. Don't you know, As you wake up in the morning, immediately acknowledge your dependence on him and not on yourself and trust him to provide for it. And so trusting him and thanking him ahead of time for it, you're honoring him in the process. But there's one other thing that I I believe it leads us to do. And I want to leave you with this as we close. I told you that, and I've already shown in one respect how this petition harkens back to the, the wilderness generation in Israel where God provided the manna day by day. Um, I want to read to you something from later in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Uh, Listen to what uh, the Lord says through Moses. And I'm going to make a connection between this to something in the life of Christ. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Note that. The Lord your God has led you these 40 years In the wilderness, note that, 40 years in a wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Note that, he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that last phrase sound familiar to you? Man does not live by bread alone? Absolutely. Jesus quoted it, right? Where did he quote it? In the wilderness. Hmm. How long was he in the wilderness? 40 days. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 days in the wilderness. They were to be trusting the very passage that he quoted while trusting. The point I want to make is Jesus in those days in the wilderness that he spent, um, he was reenacting in his life an episode from the history of Israel. And in that episode that he was reenacting, Jesus is obeying. He is obeying the word of the Lord to provide for him in that wilderness where the people of Israel grumbled and complained and doubted and were anxious and worried. Even as, even as they continued to see God faithfully providing, they worried, right? Jesus obeyed and he obeyed perfectly where they and we failed and fail all the time. All I'm saying is in that episode of Jesus in the wilderness, we see Jesus acting out in his own life the very thing he's asking us to pray and ask for in the Lord's prayer. Give us today our daily bread. When He's already done it. And he's done it perfectly. And I want to I, I mention that because Scripture says that when you trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior and to be your Lord, right, when you repent of your sins and you see your need of a Savior and you depend completely on Jesus Christ as that Savior and Lord, Scripture says you are united to Christ. The moment you believe you are united to Christ, And because of your union with Christ, you are connected to him. Because of your union with Christ, his blessings become your blessings, right? It's not like he has blessings and then he gives you your own blessings. Your blessings are his blessings because you're connected to him by faith. You're united to him. His blessings are our blessings, which means practically in this instance, our father in heaven, so the prayer says, will just as surely, Provide for you, as He did for the Lord Jesus. For the Lord Jesus, because His blessings are your blessings, right? We can we can know that He will not fail us because He didn't fail Him. You are united to Him by faith. It also means that the Father will provide for you, uh, even when you stumble and fall, because in His sight by faith you are as righteous. As Jesus is righteous, because your union with Christ means that He no longer sees you. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, and um, and that is assurance. That that our surety, uh, that our our surety that the Lord will always provide for us daily is not simply rooted in His character that He never changes. It's not merely rooted in the fact that we're united to Christ and we saw it happen before in his life, therefore it will happen again um, in, in our life. But thirdly, uh, we, we can be sure that he will provide for us because even when we fall short, it's, his blessing is not dependent on our righteousness, but we are in his sight as righteous as Jesus is righteous in our place. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And that is tremendous assurance as we pray this prayer to our Heavenly Father.